0: Christ is our firm foundation. He will not fail us. Maybe y'all didn't hear me. Christ is our firm foundation and he will not fail us. That's exciting. But yet we find all the time that sometimes the church is going, God, where are you? What, is it, what does it look like when, when life gets hard, but yet God has promised not to fail us? Well, he will never fail us, but sometimes his answer is no. He, he will never fail us, but sometimes the answer is wait. But sometimes the problem is we aren't as committed to God as he is to us. Good morning, Calvary. I would like to invite us in as we continue to grow into this place of understanding what it costs to be a disciple, what it costs to be a follower of Jesus. This room continues to be crowded. If you want a little more space, I encourage you to come at 815 or 1115. There'll be more room for you, especially 1115. Probably there'll be room. But as we're unpacking this and we're on our journey, we're walking to the time where Jesus is about to say some of the most controversial verses that you will hear him say. If you have your Luke books, turn with me to page 74 in your Bible to Luke chapter 9. And as we look at that together, what I want you to hear is this unpacking of Jesus challenging us to understand what it takes to follow him. What is the cost? To follow him. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 57. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, follow me. Lord, he said, first let me go bury my father. But he told him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. And another said, I will follow you, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. At first glance, these verses sound very harsh. I mean, go let the dead bury their dead. He, He was going to bury his father. What's going on here? Why is Jesus saying this? And what are the implications for us as followers of Jesus? Well, in order to understand what's going on here, I want us to first get an overview of what's happening in Luke chapter 9. As Luke chronologically walks through the story of Jesus, there's some important details for us to grasp. The disciples were about to be challenged to develop a different level of maturity. You see, it's okay to come to Jesus as a child. And what I mean by that is to come wanting something. Why do babies cry? They're either hungry or they're wet, right? either change me or feed me. But there comes a time when our kids, we want them to grow up to learn how to, to mature. And so Jesus is trying to challenge the disciples at an adult maturity type level, but he wants to do so by telling them there's a cost. So here's the overview of what's going on in Luke chapter nine. The disciples have received power. They are no longer just instruments having to do whatever Jesus says. He's given them the power of the Spirit so they're able to go out and share the good news of Jesus. They know their their story. They know what God is doing. They they learn how to do that. And right here we say that his followers share what they followers share what they know. That's the evangelism. You share what you know you share what God has taught you. And as he is doing something in your life you should be able to share it so that they've received the power in the sharing what they know. And part of the reason they can do that is because Peter has come to the place where he acknowledges that Jesus is not only a good man, he's not only a great prophet, but he is the Messiah, the one who has come to save the world. What a declaration. And after that, there's this this tension, there's this good moment, then there's this tension. You're going to see this good moment that's balanced with tension, as is our life, right? So Jesus then predicts his first death. He predicts for the first time, he only died once. The, the, the resurrection, the death and the resurrection. And immediately following that, Jesus challenges them. and He says, take up your cross and follow me. Now, here's what's interesting. Jesus had not yet taken up a cross and died. So later, the disciples would look back on this story and think, oh, that's what Jesus meant when he said, take up the cross and follow me. So you hear this, this cost, this challenge. And then in the middle of this Peter and and John and James they get to go up to the mountain and and on the mountain there's have this this mountaintop literal experience where Moses and Elijah show up and Jesus and Moses and Elijah are like glowing and the disciples are like whoa! I mean that's kind of a cool moment where God is moving and they're like let's just stay here and Jesus goes we can't stay here because there's work to be done. So then he it goes from this mountaintop experience to saying a second time, I'm going to die. And they allow that to sink in so much that the disciples begin to argue over who is the greatest disciple because they wanted to be next to the most powerful person on the planet, which they perceived to be Jesus. And Jesus was like, I didn't come for power, I came to die for you and for me. That disciples arguing, let's parallel that to the modern day world. That's where. Sometimes churches argue over, we're the best church in town, right? We're the holy place. We're the... It's not about that. So through all of this, what you're seeing is there's an intense time where Jesus is ramping up what it means to follow Jesus. In other words, you can't stay just a bump on the long. You need to learn how to progress in your faith. Why was this important? In Luke 9, 51, we see When the days were coming to a close for him to be taken up, he determined to journey to Jerusalem. Jesus was about to go through the Easter story. He was about to to navigate and walk through the waters of what was to come. He's about to have to give up his life and he wanted to prepare his disciples. And the overarching theme you find through Luke chapter nine is this theme of self-denial. This theme that we, we just witnessed through the beautiful example of baptism that we, that we witnessed, this service that we witnessed last week and that we're going to witness again in a couple of weeks. This dying to self that I'm, I'm going to need to die to my old way of life and be raised to a new life that says, Jesus, you are not just a good being. You are not just a good teaching. You are my everything. And Jesus is saying there is a cost to be paid. So as he's addressing this periphery crowd, he's also teaching those who have been followers of Jesus for a long time, and he's teaching them how to live a life of self-denial. So what does that look like? Let's break down the three illustrations he gives there real quick and see three themes. The first theme is Jesus himself is to be our greatest need. Jesus is to be our greatest need. Luke 9, 57 through 58. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. That seems like a great statement, right? Hey, Jesus, I'll follow you wherever you go. The answer is yes. Now, where do you want me to go? And Jesus told him, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. This is the idea of you're going to live as a nomad, as a follower of Jesus. In other words, you're going to have to go where God says for you to go. The Bible describes our very bodies as a temporary dwelling. In 1 Corinthians, in a verse that is often read in funerals, it describes your body, your skin, as a tent. Remember we did that illustration your epidermis is showing a few weeks back? Heard that went viral in some of the middle schools. That was awesome. But the idea that this skin is just temporary, that this is not our eternal dwelling places, is important for us to realize because the danger is we all need food. We all need shelter. We all need a water, right? But we can turn to those things and make them preeminent. In other words, we can, we can make them our greatest need. And so this is where we take our home and we dig our roots a little too deep. Now, let me be very very clear. Some of you, in fact, many of you, God is calling you to grow deep roots in the greater Lafayette community and to invest and to be a a lighthouse, a beacon of light in this community for years, decades, even not for the rest of your life, and to shine a light. But for all of us, the call is to ask, Lord, where do you want me to go and to make him our greatest need? you need a house. But what ends up happening is we get so easily bought into this idea of house, it becomes how big a house can we live in? We need food. And so we end up going, okay, not only how good a food can I get, but how much of it and how nice. And so we end up going and and spending a lot of money on frivolous things that literally last for moments, right? Right? And how easily this creeps up into us. In fact, as I was writing this last, this last week, Drew came into my office, Drew Phillips, and I appreciated the gesture, by the way. He's right over there. Thank you for, for the gesture. And he, he knows me well, and he knows what I like. And so he brought me this warm Mary Lou's apple fritter as I was writing the sermon. And I didn't want him to feel uh, jilted or neglected. And so, within about 30 seconds, I started eating that apple fritter, and it was gone within about two and a half minutes. In fact, I was so consumed with that apple fritter because it tasted so good, I suddenly realized I was going to have to go wash my hands because it got all that stickiness on my finger, you know? And then when I came back and my, my belly was now like in a happy place. I looked back at my notes and the previous sentence I had just written was Jesus needs to be our greatest need and how we don't need to get distracted by things like apple fritters. (coughs) Is it wrong to eat an apple fritter? No. Is it wrong to have a good meal? Excuse me. No. Is it wrong to need water? Well, we all need water. But good things can become dangerous things when they become our ultimate let's continue the story as we see jesus not only to be our greatest need but we also see jesus is to be our greatest priority (coughs) luke 9 59 through 60 then he said to another this is jesus looking to another follow me lord he said first let me go bury my father but he told him let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. That seems harsh. The dude wanted to go bury his father, and Jesus, is like, no, come follow me. Well, there's a few nuances you need to understand about the culture that was going on. First of all, that day and time when a funeral was not a service, it was a season of life, as in days as in 30 to 45 days for some, some for 60. And so he was saying, let me go bury my father. He wasn't saying I got to go to the service. He was like, Jesus, I'll catch up with you in like a month and a half. And what he was saying there is, I get it. Your father is important. And hear me, your family should be a priority. But Jesus is challenging the nuances of culture that says you have to do the expectations of culture in order to please your family. <laughs> and I've got a cough. Y'all can pray that that goes away right now. Seriously. Here's what I would challenge us as a church to realize the order of our priorities universally is as follows God first, family second, your job third, everything and everybody else fourth. That should be the nuances of your priorities. God first family second, right? Your job third, everything else fourth. Now here's the problem. I'm a pastor. My job is God. You think there's some conflict sometimes? You think there's some struggle sometimes? Yes. But here's the other part of that. Your job is God too. Because you are called to live on mission. I'm paid vocationally to be here. You're welcome. But part of that process is to understand that the reason that I'm here is to to help you understand how you are to live on mission, how you are meant to live with a purpose and carrying out an ability to make Jesus known. So there's going to be some conflicts in your life. And so Jesus wants to challenge your cultural understanding of what it really means to follow Him Sometimes your job of God needs to take precedence over your family. But make your family your priority over your job. Let me explain it like this. It's been said many, many times, the idea of right, be careful with your hobbies. Some of you have lots of kids, your kids can be your life and all that stuff. Can I just take this a different place? Because I think we've nuanced that to death. Can I challenge you that you, if those of you who have kids, and I know not everybody in this room has kids. I know not everybody in this room is married. So think of it in a, in a way of who you interact with. But specifically today, to the parents of kids, here's the lie that we get told a lot in the church. Your kids are to be your priority over everything. That's not true. So what we do is we raise our children, and I see this across the globe in the family of the church. We raise our children with this idea that we want them to grow up and Lord send them wherever you want them to go as long as it's less than 13 minutes from my doorstep. And we treat them like this. We, we don't treat them as Children, we're trying to grow up to be good adults who can function on their own. We almost create a codependency on them, hoping they will never leave so that we can helicopter their life so that they'll stay close to us. Because ideally, what we really want is our kids to grow up and be our best friends. So that when we're in a nursing home someday, they'll get us in a nice nursing home and come read us stories and help us find our teeth. Look at the Bible. In Genesis, you train up your child to grow up and leave. Your greatest priority should not be your kids, it should be God. And if you're to be a primary disciple maker, you're saying, Lord, send my kids wherever you want me to go. And yes, go visit that grandbaby. Go and release them, but the parent who sees their child on the mission field, who receives that blessing, and hear me, mission field doesn't have to be overseas. Mission field can be at Subaru, Ivonic, wherever. But the parent who sees their child living for the glory of God, wherever God sends them, is the blessed parent. Don't raise up your children to be your best friends because it will be severely disappointing to you. Jesus needs to be your priority and your kids need to see that Jesus is your priority, not them. Third, Jesus not only needs to be our greatest priority, but Jesus needs to be our greatest source of intentionality. Luke 9, 61 through 62 says this. Another one said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go say goodbye to those at my house. But it said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The hand to the plow, for those of you who are non-farmers, right? A lot of you are farmers, and I get that. But some of you are like, what does that mean? Once you start plowing, if you look this way, you're going to steer this way. Think about when they first start teaching you to drive, right? They teach you to drive, and you look over at that car, and you go, "Woo!" and then you hit it. You look, where you look is where you're going to steer, Don't look to the left or to the right. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. And how easily we get distracted. Hello, Mary Lou Donut. Right? But as we chase this around, let me ask you something. God is doing some amazing work, not only here, but around the globe. Do you want to be a part of it? Are you really willing to to do what it takes to pay the price to stay focused on God? Are you willing to pay the cost? Jesus was saying many won't, but you can. Are you willing to experience the power of God? Can I tell you how excited it makes me to think of what it would look like in our world if the church woke up from its slumber and said, no, we are all in for God, even more than the priorities that the world seems fine. We're not going to make our kids priority. We're not going to make, we're going to value our kids, but we're not going to make them our ultimate. We're not going to make our job the ultimate. We're not even going to make our marriages the ultimate because we believe all of those will benefit when we make Christ the king of our life, when we learn to look at him, when we learn to to stay focused on him, when we learn to dwell on him, when we learn to take him in, we will be the best mothers, fathers. We will be the best friends. We will be the best single people. We will be the best widow. We will be the best divorcee. We will be the best person we can possibly be Because God will do something amazing through us. Church, the best days of our faith as a country and a globe do not have to be in the past. But we as a church have to believe that Christ is our cornerstone and learn to pay the price to stay connected to him. I don't know about you, but that gets me kind of excited. So let me tell you how this unfolds. This last week, maybe you've seen it, maybe you haven't. There's, it's been all over my Facebook feed, but I realize I run in different circles as a pastor. There's just been this revival that's broken out at Asbury Seminary. Now, when I said revival, I was tempted to do it, revival because people have different thoughts of it. And some of you are like, that's so awesome. It started Thursday, and at last I checked, it was still continuing. In other words, there's been continual worship in a room since then, And the room is full of people rejoicing and praising God. Now some of you are like, praise God, that's amazing. And some of you are like, what kind of manipulation is going on to keep people there that long? (laughs) You thought it? And let me just tell you something. I think this is important for us to understand. I was a part of one of those revivals when I was at Howard Payne University, home of the Mighty Fighty Yellow Jackets, Stingham we had one of those revivals that lasted day after day after day as well. And people were driving buses in to be a part of this revival. And God did some amazing things and there was some manipulation there. In fact, anytime God is moving, there will be some people who were manipulating and taking advantage of the situation and trying to get us off track. There will be people who will over sensationalize and over emotionalize. And there will be people who are too factual and need to get a little bit of the Holy Spirit. You know what I'm saying? But when God moves, there's going to be an enemy that tries to counter it by telling you this isn't real. Or there's going to be an enemy who tries to sensationalize it. But even in the midst of the good times, God is still moving. So we can sit there and go, I don't want to worry about all of this other stuff and stay focused on Jesus. Or we can be distracted by the distractions, church. Let's focus on Jesus. So I want to ask you today. What would it look like for us to experience God in such a way? What would it take if, if the Spirit broke down in such a way that we started worshiping here? Now, some of you are already nervous because you have a Super Bowl party tonight. And you're like, oh, I don't want to stay here till that. I got a Super Bowl party. Seriously, this is the way we think. Are we really willing to go where God says, go? Are we really willing to pay the price? I want to give kind of an extended challenge this morning for our daily training. Because I want to just tell you right now, this is is a more difficult daily training. And before I even read it, I want to encourage you all to participate. And I want you to know that this wasn't just done by me, although I came up with it. It was vetted by the staff. And I asked them if this sounded OK. I asked my wife if this sounded OK, because I don't ever want to be the guy who's like, "I know what God said." But I am supposed to be up here challenging myself, and this challenges me, and thus I want to invite you into that journey. So here's our daily training. I'd like for you once in the next week to practice focusing on God through the elimination of distraction. I'm going to give you three options. Pick the most difficult. Why? Because the first one is the fast from social interaction. And all the introverts went, sign me up! (laughs) If your first reaction is sign me up and this sounds like a vacation, this is not for you. And when I say social interaction, I want to encourage you that there should be a price to be paid. And, And what I really am implying is do not leave your house for 24 hours. Which may mean you have to burn a vacation day. It may mean that you have to make sure you don't have to go to the store and go to the gas station and get a Coke because you're secretly addicted and hope no one knows. I don't know, that could be just me. It means that you're not texting a bunch of friends going, what's going on? It means you're willing to cancel your kids' activities and realize the games can literally go on without you there. It means you realize that your life shouldn't be dependent on your schedule because you're running to your schedule because you aren't really finding your satisfaction in God. So maybe this week the challenge for you is to go 24 hours without leaving your house and texting a bunch of people and calling a bunch of people, and instead focusing on Jesus when you're tempted to do those things. What's the second one? The second one is the idea of teaching us to priority, and that's fast from technology.) <laughs> Oh, that's, at first glance, everybody's like, oh, that's easy. Okay, no TV no computers. If you have to use a computer at work, okay, you can do that, but no like web surfing, no like looking up sports scores. Maybe they still have the number in the back of the phone book you can call, but oh, we're not going to use our phone for that purpose either. We're going to shut the world down once this next week for 24 hours, and we're not going to watch Netflix, and we're not going to be distracted by Instagram, and we're not going to post right before we get on there, hey everybody, I'm, I'm fasting from this for 24 hours because I'm really holy. Instead, we're going to not do this as a checkbox where we feel good about ourselves because look what I did, I accomplished it. We're going to say, the next 24 hours, no TV, no phone, no computer, no iPad, no headphones, just God. The third one. Maybe God is asking you to practice focusing God through the elimination of distraction. Consider giving up food and drink with the exception of water for 24 hours, from dinner to dinner. Now, let me tell you how this is practiced by many, many college guys, because I've always challenged college students. I was a college minister before I did this. Here's what they do. They go to the all-you-can-eat buffet at 5 o'clock, and they have the 5 o'clock all-you-can-eat buffet plan the next night. That's not the point, to gorge yourself, to hopefully sustain yourself as much as humanly possible. The other caution I would give you is this does not give you a reason to go off hangry at your family. Guys, I'm fasting. You all know that I'm going to be grumpy because I'm hangry, right? And yes, it may mean that you get a headache as a reminder that your body needs food. And through that headache, you might be reminded that you should really have a spiritual headache when you go 24 hours without focusing on God. And here's what I would encourage you to do. Pick at least one. Some of you may be called to do all of them. I'm not going to be the spirit on you and and put that on you. But I would encourage us all, pick one of those. Go 24 hours, a dinner to a dinner, without eating anything or drinking anything other than water. Go 24 hours without social media. Or go 24 hours without socially interacting with anyone outside of your household and allow God to be the preeminent of your life. This is what Jesus was getting to in this passage. He's like, those things are good. I hope your kids have great times in their clubs, in their dance, or whatever. Don't make it the ultimate. I hope you have good friendships. Don't make it the ultimate. I hope you enjoy a good steak with really crispy tater tots and fried apples and a Mary Lou's donut apple fritter for dessert. But don't make it your ultimate. What would it look like, church, if we really believed the best days of the church are ahead? What would it look like if we really believed that God is still in the resurrection power and he can raise out of ashes funerals? Funerals, I didn't mean that. Raise out of ashes broken marriages is what I meant to say. <laughs> now it's going to go all bad. What if we meant that if, if we believe that God could, could still do great things like conquer our addictions, conquer the things that are struggling? What would it look like, church, if we as a church really grasped the magnitude of being all in and being willing to pay the price to say, God, you're my ultimate. I want to be a part of a church like that. So I invite you to that. If you've never made Jesus your Lord at the end of the service, we're going to have a few people who would love to talk to you more about that. And Jesus Lord just recognizes that you need to die to your own way and live your life. I was talking to a, a lady who was a little bit older than me in the, last, in the last service. and She said, these last three weeks, the Spirit's done amazing things to my life. I thought I was good before, but now I'm seeing the life in a whole new way. God is really moving in my life. And I just want to tell you, that could be you. But you got to be all in. You see, he is our cornerstone. But in order to allow him to be the cornerstone, we have to speak the name of Jesus over and over and over and over because there's power in that name. There's power in the way he moves. So let's be all in. God, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives. We ask that you continue to move through the lives of our church that you'd bless us and guide us. Father, I thank you for your faithfulness. thankful for your kindness and your love. Father, right now, we ask for you to move, that your spirit would fall and pour through our lives, that as we declare you are worthy, as we speak your name, that you would begin to soften our hearts. You'd begin to open our minds to new possibilities of how you could change us, that you'd begin to help us to see a future that is brighter, a future filled with hope, not just in eternity, but in the here and now, that we would understand what it looks like to walk with you as our salvation, that we'd understand what it looks like to walk in the power of your might. So Father, help us to speak your name, the name of Jesus, amen.